The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to episode number four of Hacks and Jacks a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Scott Chu. How's it going, Scott? It's going great, Joe. I, uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful day outside for uh, for an early mid-March here in Michigan. My uh, And my kid had his Little League uh, assessment today. Awesome. So, yeah, he, uh, he only got to play one year in the machine pitch. He's got to go right to pitcher pitch, and uh, he had to do some things in the assessment he'd never done before. And you know what? He He tried it. And when he went to bat, he made contact. Didn't hit anything terribly hard, but he made contact. And you know, just like my fantasy guys, that's all I ask for. Just hit, the, just try to hit the ball. Is the ballpark he's playing in equipped with Statcast uh, equipment? Do, do we, yeah, yeah, do we didn't have any... the Statman on today. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you're, you're. I mean, this week was amazing here in the Northeast. In New York, we had like three or four days of 60 degree plus. It really felt like baseball season. So, uh, yeah, we're getting ready, right? And uh, we're going to focus today on outfielders. And as always, we're going to uh, lean on your rankings articles, which can be found on pitcherlist.com. You ranked and wrote about 100-plus outfielders for the 2021 season. And uh, it's a series of articles that continues to evolve because you you re-ranked some of them uh, recently, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, It's something I'm doing about every week or two. So I'd let them sit for a little while because not a whole lot changed from, you know, early February when Pitcher List 6.0 came out to really like even last week. Yeah, not a whole lot changed, but now there has been enough to kind of move some guys around. We, we have some better ideas about who's signing. We have better ideas about, you know, what what playing time might look like. So, yeah, I went and moved some guys around, mixed them up and then tried to leave a few notes at least mm-hmm. about what kind of changes I made, but some of them you're just going to have to dig around and find out. Well, I'll tell you, your series of articles and uh, the articles from uh, Nick Pollock, his starting pitcher rankings, tremendous resource as we get into the draft season. We're getting closer, right? And I've got to tell you, when I was doing my TGFBI draft, I was going back to Nick's articles, uh, ranking and, and writing about a bunch of starting pitchers, and it was truly very helpful in me making my decisions when I was drafted. Yeah, I'm really. So Nick and I worked on these together a lot. I, I didn't really work on the pitching part. Let's be clear. I, I, he didn't need my input for that, but we worked together closely on a lot of the hitter stuff. And there's one thing we both agree on in terms of philosophy. And that's when you're doing these rankings, the number order is like a big talking point, but it's not the most important part. It's the analysis that goes in behind it. Because the rankings will change with like a little bit of playing time or, you know, you'll sort of readjust guys. But the write-ups that you give them, other than changes to like playing time or injury, are the same, right? Like when you want to know what I think about Ryan Mountcastle, you care a little bit that I ranked him 42nd. But you really want to know why did I rank him in that tier? Why did I put him there, right? And that's the kind of stuff I wanted to give you. Both of us resisted just making a list or having like four word comments, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, telling, you know, ranking a guy 20th and then being like injury prone isn't as helpful. Right. So so we really tried to go in and tell you why we ranked guys where we did 
And, and of course, you know, towards the end of the outfield rankings, there's not much to say. Right. Like, I, I just don't have a lot to say right. about uh, Gregory Polanco. Right. Like, you know, even though he's what, hot, he's been hot. Hasn't he been hot this spring? You know, it's <laughs> but you're right. about Gregory Polanco. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> he, he didn't get hurt yet. But, that's the, yeah. You know. but yeah, great resource. I recommend everybody check out all the great content. Pitcherlist.com. So, like I said, we're getting into that draft season. The uh, great fantasy baseball invitational drafts are behind us now. That's the TGFBI leagues where you have a series of individual 15 team leagues and then an overall uh, league as well. So how did it go for you? Any real surprises for you in uh, your league? You know, surprises might not be the right word. You know, one one thing that this is my this is my third go around in the TGFBI. I did great the first time in 2019. I finished ninth, and then last wow. year did not finish ninth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> finished like I think 200 or something out of you know 350 or whatever. It's 400 folks from all across the fantasy community. Right. Including some folks that simply won satellites to get in yes. uh, and play with the experts. And it's a lot of fun. I'd say the one thing that is tough about those leagues is those guys that you got in as sleepers or whatever in your mocks. Those aren't there. You're you're dealing with a crowd that is, by and large, uh, well, you know, sort of well versed, you know, well read in terms of what's out there. And it. it I don't want to say it forces you to take guys earlier than you want, but you just at least, you know, 10 times in a draft, you'll kind of kick yourself being like, I could have gone around earlier on that guy. Absolutely. I thought he'd come back and, and I should have known better. Right. So, so that's the thing that'll always get you. I, I mean, like, so Tarek Skubal's a guy I, I, I love. I'm a Tigers fan. I'm a Tarek Skubal fan. And I just love him. And I was like, all right, I just have to wait one more round. And I was like, crap. The moment I didn't draft him, I knew. I was like, that was dumb. He's not coming back. Yeah. You know, especially because it started that day. He he showed off his new splitter. And I was like, oh, I'm not getting him. And sure enough, I didn't. You know, it, it, no chance. You're right. When you play in those type of leagues, you almost have to throw your ADPs away. And, like, if you really want a specific player, you may be forced – to draft them around, maybe even two rounds early, if you really want, you know, someone. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think the last thing I'd say about that, and it's good, really, in in any league, we talk a lot about ADP. Always keep in mind what the min pick is. Always look to see how early has someone gone on this player. I'm not saying that you need to beat that or you have to do that, but it's a good way to just have an idea of if I wanted to reach for a guy, when do I start thinking about it? And the min pick is a great, great way to get an idea of where, where and when you want to do that. That's great advice. Uh, in, in my league, I was a little surprised at how early starting pitching went, you know, especially being in a, a league with so many people in the industry. But, uh, look, everyone's concerned about, you know, innings pitched this season. Another thing that surprised me, and this leads us to our conversation about outfielders, is that Mookie Betts was picked seventh overall. So I guess we could start with with your tier one, the the elites, right? Which uh, includes Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Juan Soto. I mean, for me, early in this draft season, I was like, from that group, I almost want to go Mookie Betts. And I was glad when I read your little uh, article because you agreed with me where you said that he has the highest floor overall. But this this uh, quartet here. Is super, super talented. The last thing I would ever do is begrudge someone for how they ranked that top tier. And, you know, it's weird to have a tier when you're ranking 100 outfielders and to only have like four people in a tier. But I had to break tier one apart into like a one and a one and a half because these four will always go before everybody else. Mm -hmm. These will be the first outfielders off the board in, in any order, right? Acuna, I mean, Soto was like the first overall pick in a ton of leagues in TGFBI. Mike Trout, I don't know if he was ever a first, but he was definitely picked very early. Mookie Betts was first in a bunch of drafts. Ronald Acuna, who I ranked first, was first in a bunch of drafts. And again, if it's me and I've got number one overall, I'm taking Acuna. Right? That's just because I, I love the upside. He's young. He's fast. He plays well. I, I think that he's just got this incredible ceiling. But again... If you tell me you want Juan Soto because he's possibly like the, the 
one of the best hitters in baseball at age, what, like 22? Uh, what am I going to say? I've got nothing to say to you because he is he's amazing at the plate. His discipline for a player of that age is unreal, unheard of, right? Like even Trout wasn't like that when he came up, right? Mm-hmm. When they brought up that 19-year-old, I was like, what are they doing? You know, surely they have someone else they can bring up. And how wrong was I? There, there are not Juan, so- Juan Soto's sitting anywhere in the minor leagues. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, he's a one in a million. So yeah, any of these guys, like if you want to pick Mike Trout first overall because he's Mike Trout, what do I say? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> any, any chance you would take Tatis? I know we're talking outfielders today. Does Tatis become a number one overall in certain situations? Like, uh, you know, for me, I had the third pick overall in TGFBI. I took Tatis. And now in a league that I'll be drafting uh, March 25th, highly competitive 15-teamer, I got the number one pick. I just found out. So, you know, I'm like, it's not going to be Tatis for me in this league because I have already got him in another league, another really competitive league. I'm like, what happens if Tatis gets hurt? Then I've got two leagues where, (laughs) you know, where I'm going to have to scramble. Isn't it funny how our other leagues impact <laughs> our draft picks, right? Like, because they have no bearing on this league, right? Like, they're totally separate, but they totally affect how we draft. Because I'm like, man, I've already got so many shares of this guy. I've got him on so many teams. I got to diversify, right? right? Like, these aren't stock portfolios. They're, they're fantasy teams. Like, if I had Fernando Tatis Jr. on every single fantasy team, I'd be feeling real good, <laughs> right? Like, until like, sure, he breaks his leg uh, in week one. Or, or well, until God, he shows that, it would happen, yeah. but you know, <laughs> or, you know, I wouldn't be taking him first overall, but again, right. I'm not going to begrudge someone. I, I think the one reason I don't is because I'm a little more on the conservative side and he probably has the smallest overall sample so far of everyone that you'd consider at first overall between like him, bats, Acuna and Soto, who, who are mostly the guys I see first overall Tatis is the smallest sample. And, and this isn't about Tatis, but you know, if you do it, I get it. I love him. I love the way he's grown in the major leagues. We talked about it in our shortstop podcast. The the ways that he's adjusting and growing are, are unbelievable to me. But again, if I'm taking first overall, especially you know, in a three outfield league, I, I can see it, right? Because outfield sort of is, there's a lot, you know, outfield becomes very deep in a three outfield league. In a five outfield league, I just don't see how you do it. You just, right. you it's great to have that anchor at the top. Agreed. Tier two, your near elites, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, and Bryce Harper. What are we thinking about? You know, obviously Yelich had terrible year last year. I'm giving him a mulligan coming off of a, a major knee injury. It fractured his kneecap the year before. It was a weird year where you had the initial spring training and then the stoppage. Then you started again in July. Are you giving him a pass this year? I mean, I don't want to call it a pass, but that's sort of because the whole premise of like him having a terrible season. Look, he did right. The 205 batting average jumps out. But Mm -hmm. don't forget, he still had a 356 OBP, which is like he had been over 400 the two previous seasons. But 356 is still good. Right. Right. And he still hit 12 home runs in 58 games. Right. Like So he was on like a 30 plus home run pace. or So like he wouldn't have met your expectations but he still would have been pretty darn good, right? Mm-hmm. If that's the floor, if if 2020 was the floor, you know, there's I, I'm sort of I no longer have fear about Christian Yelich, and you know I do believe that was the floor, and it's sort of nice to have seen the floor. What does that look like? It still looks pretty pretty darn palatable. So, you know, I, for, it's the second tier, but it's really tier one and a half because these guys again are always going to go again go ahead of the next set and you know how weird would it be for anyone in this tier you know yelich bellinger harper to finish as a top three overall outfielder right like it wouldn't be that weird again right getting ahead of acuna Betts, soto trout is a tall order but Mm -hmm. yelich has done it before right bellinger has been one of the best players in fantasy before harper Mm -hmm. has been one of the best players in fantasy before this is a really, really good tier, and it, it sort of shows, especially in the three outfield league, how deep the top is at outfield. You know, it's there, there's a lot of talent up there. That's why so many go in the first round. Yeah, and when you talk about how deep this early outfielder tier is, and and just the, the, nobody talks about Bryce Harper. You know, that's how good 
the first few outfielders are, right? I mean, guy, I know that sometimes he, he drives you a little crazy because he goes in these prolonged slumps and whatnot, but 35 home runs, mid-teens stolen bases, the average batting average might be a little, uh, you know, between the 250s and, and maybe 270. That's the kind of iffy part with his game. Yeah, I think what I really like about Harper is I am not the type to get like an Alberto Mondesi to, you know, sort of boost my stolen base category. I'm unlikely to get one guy who I expect to carry my stolen bases. I like to spread the love, right? Kind of get it all over the team. A lot of 15, 20 stolen base guys, right? Even 10. Yeah. Because you can actually put together a lot of stolen bases that way. You don't have to have Mondesi to be top three, top five in stolen bases in a Roto League or to win your matchups with pretty decent regularity in a head-to-head categories league. You just need enough stolen bases. In fact, it's almost nice to have multiple contributors, right? Mm-hmm. Because you sort of you don't have to rely on just one guy. And if one guy slows down, you're not it's not a big deal. And he did steal a surprising number of bases in the short season. He stole eight bases in the 58 games, which puts him slightly ahead of pace than what we saw in 2018-2019. But you're absolutely right. Like a guy who we project reasonably to have 35 home runs, at least you know 100 runs, 100 RBI, and you know 13 to 15 stolen bases. And it's an afterthought. <laughs> yeah. And close, darn near close to a 400 OBP. Like his value, of course, goes up in OBP leagues. And, and we actually in 2020, it was a small sample, but it was the first time we ever saw him walk more than he struck out. Mm-hmm. All very cool stuff. So, I mean, like you can bump him up in OBP leagues, but don't go overboard, right? There's only so much you can bump up a guy who's ranked like seventh at the outfield position. <laughs> There's not that much room to go up. Right. But if you want him, uh, again, what do, what do I say? Bryce Harper's real good. <laughs> like, that's, that's just why I have to say, like, he is in a lower tier. Like, I still probably take Soto ahead of Harper every single time. Yeah. Like, OBP, any too. league format. Yeah. But, you know, like, if if Bryce Harper is your consolation prize, you got to feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I agree with you. The thing is, like I said, he could drive you crazy sometimes. I mean, he batted 330 in 2015, followed it up with a 243 batting average. 2017, bats 319. Next year, he bets 249. So, But the steady thing has been the home run production. And like you said, you get the stolen bases from him. But I would definitely take Soto over Harper. I don't think it's close. But your next tier are the quote-unquote very good outfielders. George Springer, Kyle Tucker, Marcel Ozuna, Eloy Jimenez, Whit Merrifield, Luis Roberts, Starling Marte. But Springer, I agree with you. I mean, he's going to have a, another big year. I think playing in a few great hitting parks, right? Because the Jays are going to start their season playing uh, their game, their home games at the spring training complex in Florida. Then they might play some games in Buffalo. Then if they ever get to the Rogers Center, well, that's another great hitter's ballpark, no? Yeah, and I mean, you know, I don't know exactly where they're going to play. And I can't pretend to know exactly how that will impact where he sort of ends up in terms of overall rank in the outfield. Because, you know, playing in Buffalo is a big deal. It's a different park size, right? And playing in wherever they're going to play is going to impact maybe his home run totals. But let's be clear. George Springer is awfully, awfully good. He's put up great numbers. Really, the only knock on him is playing time. And I guess he doesn't steal a ton of bases. He steals a couple. He doesn't steal a ton. And with with George Springer, I thought I was being like sort of a really aggressive. I was like, oh, man, I'm ranking him so high, like inside the top 10. And then every time I looked at the rankings, I was like, should I be moving George Springer up? And and he really it got to the point where, like, I had to stop. I was like, there's no universe where I take Springer over Harper. But after Harper, like it really was the point of I could take Springer over any of those guys. Mm -hmm. And this tier, I don't want to say I pick play favorites. This is my favorite tier in terms of guys that you can get really, really excited about Mm -hmm. and guys who haven't already shown us that they can be top like necessarily be top tier fantasy players i mean we've seen we saw ozuna do it last season uh we you know we've seen george springer in bursts but you know like this is a tier where you're gonna feel real good when you pick like any of these guys right like whit merrifield's the most boring one he's not the lowest ranked one but he's probably the most boring but he's really good right <laughs> whit sure, Merrifield's yeah. incredibly consistent like a level of consistency that we just don't see in fantasy baseball i want to say in 20 in 20 19 it was he didn't have two consecutive games where or no there was like two instances where he had two consecutive games where he didn't get on base like that's wild yeah yeah 
Yeah, now, not uh, even didn't get on base. Like, didn't get a walk or a hit. He might have been on base. It, that was harder for me to look up. He might have, like, gotten on base in, like, a fielder's choice. Like, he still might have done something. But, yeah, we, you know, that, we spoke insane. a lot about him when we did uh, second base, but, you know, gives you batting average, gives you, like, upper teen kind of home run power, and then there's the stolen bases as well. So, but like you said, very consistent. Um, Kyle Tucker. Looks like the Astros finally going to give him a full season to show what he could do. Had a very nice season uh, in 56 games last year. Uh, nine home runs, 42 runs batted in. Uh, the only uh, blemish, we'll say, was his righty-lefty splits. Batted 293 versus righties, 217 versus lefty pitching. But if he plays a full season, which it looks like finally he's going to be the guy there. Uh, 25 home runs, 20 stolen bases, definite possibility right there to get him in the fourth round. Oh, I'm a huge Tucker fan. He's a guy that I've brought up a lot in various podcasts and conversations that I've had with folks because when I watched his plate appearances in uh, 2020, he was a guy that every time I watched him, I felt like he was fighting off good pitches. He was I mean, I just loved his approach and it doesn't show up as much in the 7.9 percent walk rate and 20.2 percent strikeout rate. But, the, you know, you can't just scout from the box scores. Watch a guy. Is he fighting off tough pitches? Right. Like that doesn't show up as a stat anywhere. I loved how Tucker did this all throughout 2020. And that's really why he's getting this job. Right. He's going to bat uh, in a decent lineup spot for what I think is a very, you know, very strong Astros team offensively and there really is 25 25 upside maybe more maybe 30 20 30 25 right mm-hmm. this is a guy who who can really do that if there's anything you'll say is like oh his batting average isn't great you know his obp not great but everything else is i, I think there's a lot to be excited about and i'm a i'm big on kyle tucker coming into 2021 there you go marcelo zuna like the fact that he resigned with the braves uh, expect another big year from him eloy jimenez not much to say about him True 40 home run potential. He's just like, he's He-Man, basically, right? He's basically a masher. <laughs> and he's not going to kill your, your your batting average. But uh, we spoke about Whit Merrifield real quick. But Luis Robert got off to a great start, but limped to the finish line. Very aggressive hitter. You talked about this, but actually was able to hit the breaking ball better than he batted against fastballs 262 batting average against breaking ball 212 batting average against fastballs strikeouts were a big issue but whiff rate over 35 on all types of pitches fastballs breaking balls off-speed pitches yeah it turns out when you swing the bat really hard you miss stuff (laughs) (laughs) you know and on on one hand right like that that helium from the beginning the start he had to 2020 was beyond anyone's expectations probably his own Right. I mean, he was stealing bases. He was, it was nuts. Mm-hmm. And I, one, you know, I don't expect him to ever do that for a full season, but he could absolutely do that again for a month, two months. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was weird that he hit better against breaking balls. It's it sort of I think part of that is just going to be a small sample thing. Like he did see breaking balls, but at the same time, like getting his bat on even just like a couple of breaking balls early, we're going to was going to kind of skew those numbers in a way. Uh, And early in the season, he hit everything. You could throw him whatever you wanted. It did not matter. He found the contact. So what I liked, and this was brought to my attention by Zach Hayes, one of our writers, that at the end of the season, he was making hard contact. He was hitting the ball 100 miles per hour plus, right? Mm -hmm. I would have loved to see what it looks like. You know, we say like first half, second half, but let's be clear, like it would be more like a first, sixth, second, sixth, of a regular season, right? Mm-hmm. Like we mm-hmm. barely saw what he can do and we didn't get, you know, we saw him be hot. We saw pitchers adjust the way they attacked him and he right. went down. We didn't get to see what happens after we got a taste, right? He did late in the season, hit some balls really hard. He could have very well bounced back. We just didn't could've. get time to see it. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's still high on this list because there's crazy upside. And just because he had a rough go of things at the end of the season doesn't mean that's how he's going to start this season, right? He just had a whole off season to, you know, adjust. You know, if you think he didn't go back home and think about how he's going to strike out last year, nuts, right? He, he knows what happened. He was there. Mm-hmm. He wants to do better. He worked on those things. I'm really excited to see what that turns into for the regular season. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. First 33 games 
298-348-612 slash last 23 games, 136-237-173 slash. But like you said, you know, we're, we're looking at a small sample size. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what he could do this year. We can move over to your solid tier. And it starts with Brandon Lowe, who we spoke about when we were talking uh, second baseman. Aaron Judge, J.D. Martinez, Kevin Biggio, who we've spoken about, uh, Michael Conforto. This is a big, big tier here. Nicholas Castellanos, Jordan Alvarez, Trent Grisham, Randy Arena, and Charlie Blackman. Wow. So why don't we start with uh, Aaron Judge? Is it safe to say, and you know I'm a Yankee fan, so I, I love Judge, but look, we've got to call him injury prone, don't we? Only played one full season in his career, and that was 2017. 52 home runs, though. So, I mean, obviously the Yankees are concerned about his injury history. They told him, they told Giancarlo, listen, go easy on lifting this offseason, right? You know, you, you lift things up, you put them down. Enough. Easy. I lift things up and put them down. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's a complete ball player. Not going to kill you with batting average. Also plays a good defense, which I know we don't really care about too much in, in fantasy. But uh, the injuries, man, play in just about... 63% of the Yankees games over the past three seasons. Yeah. You know, my, my thought is when you have that much body, there's Ooh. plenty to get injured. You know, that, that is a big, <laughs> big man. Yes. And you know, I still ranked him 16th overall. We, we could talk about how he's injury prone. It, there's still, you know, despite all the injuries, there's a reason he's still 16th overall is because when he plays, it's not like we need him to be healthy so we can see what he can do. We know right. what he can do. We mm-hmm. just need him to be on the field to do it. And it's not as though when he's played, he's been, you know, subpar. When he plays, he's good. We just need him to stay healthy. Can he do that for a whole season? I think it'd be foolish to say, you know, if I thought or wanted to bet on him being like a 150-game guy, he would not be ranked 16th. He'd be ranked 10th, 11th, ranked 16th, because I'm like, okay, how about more like 130, 140, and I'm going to have to replace the other games? But especially in like a, a Yahoo standard format, the three outfield two utility, you can do that. You can do that just fine. So you know, I'm still very comfortable taking early because the upside is, is crazy and the downside is just going to be missed time. I'm not expecting this to be a guy who he's in your lineup and he's killing you, right? That's not happening. When he's not productive, it's because he's not on the field and mm-hmm. then he's not in your lineup and someone else is and at least you're getting something. Right, right. Trent Grisham was one of only six players to have double-digit steals and home runs last season. Obviously, a good source of power and speed, uh, good on-base skills. Dealing with a hamstring injury right now is expected to be sidelined for about a week, but uh, has plenty of time to get ready for opening day, I would think, no? Yeah, I mean, I, I have permanent hamstring issues because I, I'm just rough on myself. Like, I don't mean real hamstring issues. I just mean, like, they're always sore all the time. You know, if I do anything remotely athletic, I'm like, ooh, I feel it tighten up right away. But he's had some hamstring issues in the past, but I don't expect this to be a chronic thing. There's no indication that he's like me where his hamstrings are just like perpetually tight. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. What I do know about Trent Grisham is he's batting first in slam Diego. Right. Like that is, that is one of the most prime lineup spots that I can think of for fantasy. This Mm -hmm. guy, a hundred runs. I mean, if he plays 130 games, a hundred runs feels like it's in the back. Right. Right. Like, if he led the major leagues in runs scored, how surprised would you be? Like, not very, right? Not batting first for San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I love the power, love the speed, love, love, love the lineup spot. And that's actually why he's one spot ahead of Randy Rosarena, who, mm-hmm. you know, he'll be in Tampa. I think he's going to have good spots in the batting order, but Tampa's weird. They move guys around all the time, right? Like, you know, if you're slumping a little, they'll, they're not afraid to bump you down. I think Grisham's right. going to get some run at the top of that lineup and San Diego hasn't shown to be as weird, right? Because, like, Grisham and Rosarena have very similar profiles overall. Mm-hmm. But I love Grisham because, you know, again, 110 runs is not out of the question here. That's nuts. And run scored is a tough category to fill at times. Oh, yes. Always been one I've had a hard time uh, competing in. That category is very tough. And, and since you bring up uh, Rosarena, found a simple formula to help uh, fuel his breakout season the last year, right? Use the KISS method. Keep it simple. Stupid, right? Chicken, rice, and push-ups. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Tested positive for COVID. Didn't make his uh, season debut until August 30th. Tremendous the rest of the way. Who could forget that playoff run? And what's most impressive about the playoff run is that you're batting against some of the best pitchers in baseball, right? I mean, 
the pitchers have been waiting all uh, off season to get a chance uh, at a rematch, right? They've been watching tape on him. Is he going to be able to adjust to their adjustments? Yeah, no one's giving you the kid gloves in the playoffs. That's not happening. They are like when if you're being scouted, you're being scouted the most during the playoffs. They want to get you out every single time. There are no free at bats in the playoffs. Those pitchers are bringing everything they have. And that's when he succeeded almost the most, right? Like part of it is just getting hot at the right time, but he was hot and no one could do anything about it. And it's not as though they didn't try. This is not a case of, well, he just saw a lot of fastballs. No, he saw the best pitchers that the best teams had to offer and everything they offered to him. He sent over the fence. Mm -hmm. That's why I, you know, is this a flash in the pan? Probably not. Right. Like there is something here because you can't be that good in the playoffs for nothing. Right. And I'm sure someone could pull up some stats about a guy who is sort of like that. And, you know, if you look at just the regular season numbers, he doesn't have 100 career plate appearances in the regular season yet. Not in the major league level anyway. So, yeah, I can see why someone might be hesitant. But, you know, those he actually had more plate appearances in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. Right. And if you go to fan graphs, make sure to push that button, that postseason button. It won't show you the combined stats between the two, but it gives you a real good picture about how you can like sort of put those things together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is 20 games a big sample? No, but you know, 23 games in the regular season plus 20 games in the postseason. Is that a huge sample? No, but it's twice as big as the one you had, right? And seeing that, seeing 17 home runs in 23 games, right? Like, wow, that is Mm -hmm. a lot. Like, it felt like he was hitting a home run, like, every game, because he kind of was, like, every other game, he was hitting a home run. Uh, I mean, actually, it worked out a little differently, but, you know, the slash line is video game stupid. He was amazing at the toughest time. I'm a big fan, and really just the question is going to be, like, you know, even with the playoffs, he just, does, he just doesn't have as much sample as, you know, maybe some of the other guys in this tier. So well, still a lot to be excited about. What do you project the home run stolen base wise in a full season? Mid 20s for home runs or you think that eventually turns into a 30 homer guy or I mean, what do you think? You know, I'm actually I'm mostly wondering. So, like, if you look at the major projection systems, they're all mid 20s home runs. Mm-hmm. And and I like that, like, you know, 30 if he gets a little hot, you know, 23 24 if you know he's more cold than he's hot but he's getting over 20 like that's just a given i'm wondering about the stolen bases you know he's not you know he's he's fast but he's not like blinding fast right he's not he's not super duper fast i'm interested to see how the rays play the stolen base game they're a very analytic team Mm -hmm. and analytics don't like stolen bases they don't help you win that much they only help you very situationally, right? Now, luckily, he was pretty good on the on the Bates pass. He did not get caught stealing in the regular season. He did get caught twice in the postseason. So I, I'm interested to see what those stolen bases turn out to. I'm, I'm probably writing down 15 and hoping I get a bonus, right? Because, like, I think 20 is in the cards, but I hope I get the bonus. But I'm not, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, yeah, this is a lock for 20 because I'm not so sure that he is. Mm-hmm. Other two guys that are in this tier, we'll just mention them quickly. J.D. Martinez has been very vocal about how not having access to in-game video contributed to his regression in uh, 2021. There have been other ballplayers. We've, we've spoken about it. Javier Baez, Josh Bell. Uh, I think it's a real thing. It is. And quite frankly, J.D. Martinez is like having a hitter's coach in your like in your dugout. He's that good. I mean, J.D. Martinez comeback was like J.D. Martinez driven. Right. Like, um, again, big Tigers fan. He came over. <laughs> The Tigers gave him like pointers and help, but like JD made himself into JD. Mm-hmm. He's he's a really 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 good hitter, and I will never bet on JD Martinez being bad for two straight seasons. Uh, that's just not a bet I'm comfortable making because I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. I think he rebounds. I think he rebounds well, and because he's like a hitting coach, that video matters to him a lot. He mm-hmm. is adjusting. He is watching himself. He is scouting himself all the time. He needs that video and he's getting it back, right? Like not the same way it was. He can't go into the dugout and watch the video. Or, or I'm sorry. He can't go like into the locker rooms and watch the video, but they're going to have tablets. He's going to be able to watch it. And that's what he needs. He needs to see like, Hey, I had a rough at bat. What, what was I doing? What, you know, was there something about my mechanics? Was there something about the way I'm being pitched? What didn't I see while I was in the box? He needs to see that so we can make those adjustments. 
I, I totally buy his story. I don't think it's an excuse. Mm-hmm. Last guy we'll talk about in this tier, Michael Conforto. Had a big season, 322 batting average, uh, the nine home runs, 31 RBI. You pointed out that he had a big jump in his line drive rate, which fueled his batting average and just questioning whether or not he could just replicate that. But, I mean, he's developed to a, a solid ball player. I count on 30 home runs from him every season. Yeah, and I think you should, right? Like the, the whole 30 home runs bit, that, that, you know, that, that feels really safe. Uh, but he's been a 259 hitter, including his, you know, breakout 2020. He's like a 255 hitter through like the first several seasons of his career. Mm-hmm. And line drive rates aren't super sticky, right? If there's one thing that can really fluctuate from year to year, it's these line drive rates that we see. You know, certain guys do hit tons of line drives, right? So Christian Yelich stands out as a guy who always hits a lot of line drives. When you see a player get a spike in line drives, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've made some big change to their approach. It just means that some balls that would have been grounders, they got under just a little bit more. I mean, the difference in like on it, if you look at if you look at the barrel of a bat and, and sort of like put spots on it and say this, you know, if the ball hits this spot, it's a line drive and this spot, it's a ground ball. I mean, we are talking tiny, tiny, tiny movements down the barrel of the bat. Right. That's why line rate line drive rates are so sort of fluid from year to year. Like the difference between a fly ball and a ground ball are sort of like the two hemispheres of the bat. Right. Like the top half of it, that stuff goes up. The bottom half of it, that stuff goes down. Swing plane matters, too, of course. But like you're, you're talking about a round ball and a round bat. They mm-hmm. make us, you know, they you sort of make that contact on this one tiny part of both. And that really directs the angle. And again, with the publicly available information, it's hard to really buy into line drive rates if it only happened for one season compared to the others. So that's what I'm interested in. Even if you don't buy the batting average, this is where you rank him, right? Mm-hmm. If you buy the batting average, move him up. I don't, but you can. I don't care. You know, I'm not I'm not you. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I you don't can. buy it as much. So this is where he went. But it's not like I buried him. Yeah, you know, he's still, he's still mm-hmm. ranked quite well. Yeah, Nick Castellanos batted 225 last season, but the the home runs were there. 14 home runs in his 60 games. You get him uh, in the seventh round. Chad Young did a deep dive on him. Recommend that you read it. Right, uh, provide some optimism for uh, Castellanos in, in 2021. Uh, batting average took, like I said, took a big nosedive, but the expected batting average was actually pretty decent. 272, right around his lifetime batting average. I don't know what happened in Cincinnati, but. Everybody had terrible batting averages. All of them. Every every single hitter, basically. I, like the best batting average on the team was like a 259 amongst full-time players. It was nuts. Yeah, you know, th- that's not the exact number. And you know, he did have this weird spike in strikeout rates. A lot of guys did in Cincinnati. I have no idea what happened. Maybe that as a team, you know, the only thing I can think of, and it's pure speculation, maybe the way they approached the long layoff and then suburb camp maybe wasn't quite as effective as other teams. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't expect it to happen again. This offense should be a lot better than they were in 2020. I said this, you know, on pretty much every podcast where we've talked about a red, they're mm. going to be a lot better. I think Castellanos, again, you know, if you look at the StatCast numbers, and, and you know, StatCast numbers aren't a crystal ball. They can't tell you everything, but they don't think he was all that different than what he'd been for the two previous seasons. So why should I expect him to be all that different than he'd been before? If anything, you're kind of hoping that this is finally the season that he hits 30 home runs. He's teased it, right? He's gotten close. He hasn't quite gotten there. This might be the year he finally gets it. And even if he doesn't, he should hit north of 270, 275. You know, not unlikely. You know, I expect him to probably be more like 280, 285. But, you know, 275 is a floor. Plenty of RBI, again, on a team who should hit a lot better than they did last season there's a lot to like you know it's it's almost boring in a way because you kind of already knew what i was going to say about castellanos yeah right? former tiger Snake. right <laughs> yeah you, you knew i was going to say that yeah he, he's got good bat to ball skills he gets a good batting average you might bump him down a tiny bit in obp but it's not even so much that you're bumping him down as much as you are taking other guys who have these really high walk rates like the conforto types and bumping them up and castellanos kind of just like stays where he is but it changes his ranking because there was guys you had to bump up because they have great OBPs, and, and he doesn't. His is fine. Upper middle class is your next tier. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, power personified, but with a 31.6% K rate, 
uh, that 289 batting average you put up last season could be hard to replicate. Yeah, I mean, anyone who strikes out that much, it's hard for them to to have that kind of batting average. There's a lot to like. I think this lineup is going to be very explosive. We're sort of in this range of outfielders where there's a lot of guys like Teoscar Hernandez in terms of like the overall stats, mm-hmm. right? Like if you just looked at the numbers and like the projections, how different is Teoscar Hernandez from Nick Castellanos? Other than Castellanos has a better floor, but you know, the thing I want to point out is Part of projections in terms of what they don't tell you is where's the floor, right? Like they show you what we think is going to happen and floor is baked into that to some extent, but you, you need to understand the difference in the floor between like Tasker Hernandez and the next guy ranked Eddie Rosario, right? Mm-hmm. Rosario's floor is a lot higher. I know what he is. I, I know the style of player he is. He is a free swinger, but he makes a lot of contact. I know what his floor is. Tasker Hernandez, I kind of know his, but it's a lot lower. So even though I like Tasker more, if I was only going on floor, it, this would be a different set of rankings, right? Mm-hmm. So just something to call out in terms of a lot of guys that we're going to talk about similar stats, sort of similar looks on the projections, but different in terms of ceiling and floor. You ranked Tiasco Hernandez slightly higher than Lourdes Guriel. What was it that major? Was it the the, the home run? Like is because Trioscar maybe will hit 30, 35 home runs or because, uh, you know, we we spoke about Guriel in a different episode. I told you how much I love him and, and whatnot. But I think that in terms of batting average, his floor is higher than Teoscar's. And even he'll give you, a, you know, maybe a handful of stolen bases as well. So the upside for home runs on Lords Guriel is 30 mm-hmm. for me. The upside on Teoscar's home runs is like 35 to 40. Gotcha. Right? So, okay. And that's really the difference. It's it's the power. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple stolen bases, but it's not like it's not like Guriel's going to steal you 15, right? We're talking more like seven, eight, you know, maybe nine. Um, that's not enough to make up like the 10 home runs I expect. You know, Tasker Hernandez could hit. Like, could mm-hmm. it end up being the other way around? Yes, but I think if if we set actually, I think Tasker might even steal more bases than Guriel does. If we were to be like, okay, both guys hit their ceiling this year. Who ends up being ranked higher? To me, it's probably Teoscar Hernandez because his stealing is like 35 home runs, 10 stolen bases. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's what we're seeing from him. And Lord Guriel is probably just like slightly less than that. And like, sure, it might be a better batting average, but not enough of a batting average lift to make up for the difference. And also, Teoscar's batting fourth, Guriel's batting seventh. Right, right. That, yeah, that's a big deal too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eddie Rosario, good value for a guy with uh, 25 to 30 home run potential. Get him in the 11th round. Mike Yaz, he's had a, a couple of pretty good seasons. Yeah, a, a couple like pieces of really good seasons, yeah. right? Like, we're still waiting for that, you know, where he plays like 162 <laughs> games at one time, right? Or even like 150 games at one time, right? Because he's mm-hmm. only got 161. The nice thing is, it was kind of easy to talk about, like, what's the upside on. Mike Yastrzemski, in terms of a full season, well, he's played 161 in uh, games, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably pretty close to what the upside looks like in terms of like what could he be? He could be like a 30 home run, like 100-100 kind of guy with a 280 batting average. That's a heck of a player. Yeah. Uh, I, now, do I expect him to be quite that good? I, I'm still thinking there might be like some adjustment that happens here. I loved the walk rate spike. I love that he did you know, up, update and upgrade his play discipline. And you can't argue with the results you've gotten. I just, I'm sort of being conservative and saying, okay, he won't be quite that good going forward. I think he might be just slightly less. But again, the ceiling, we know what that is. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Next tier, middle class, Tommy Pham, Austin Meadows, Dominic Smith, Jorge Soler, Ramon Laureano, Alex Verdugo, Kyle Lewis, Dylan Moore. And just so that our listeners know, I mean, Scott went over at least 100. It was more than that, right, Scott? Because you added some extra guys at the end of your article. Like 110? <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to be able to get through everyone. But we'll just try to pick uh, pick out some of the ones that you we feel you might have more questions about, maybe some more bounce-back uh, category guys. But uh, Austin Meadows missed time last season due to uh, COVID, suffered an oblique strain. Never able to get back on track, but you look at what happened in 2019, 33 home runs, 12 stolen bases, 291 batting average. I mean, there was a little dip in his barrel rate last year, but average exit velocity and hard hit rate were just about the same as 2019. I mean, if he comes back 
close to his 2019 season, picking him up in, I don't know, eighth, ninth round, it's going to be a steal. Yeah, if you want the sort of get out of jail free card on Meadows, it's that he dealt with COVID yeah. in 2020, right? And he sort of came out and said that this impacted his strength and he felt like it sapped it from him. And I mean, a lot of people have said that, right? Like when they had COVID that it sapped their strength and he certainly looks like he's got that back in spring, right? Mm-hmm. He's already hit a couple home runs. He, uh, he looks like he's, you know, in, in the kind of shape and, and the sort of body that he had in 2019, we've not seen him play a ton of games consecutively quite yet. So that sort of like tampers the expectations a bit. But if you go and like look at his projections, right, you look at the bad X and it says 25 home runs, 10 stolen bases. You go, oh, that's pretty good. And then you look and you're like, oh, that's only at 117 games. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so. So he could be very good in 117 games. And if you're projecting him to play 120 games, which I think is a safe thing to do. Uh, you're looking at like a 25 home run guy. Mm-hmm. And God, if he plays more than that. You're getting even more, right? Like the 2019 season is very much in play. 138 games, 33 home runs, 12 stolen bases, a 291 average. That's in play. Of course, you know, when we're looking at projections, when we're talking about drafts, we can't only draft on upside. We have to factor in what's a downside, and that's playing only 120 games, right? Mm-hmm. So you rank him here and you sort of talk about like, hey, look, there's a big upside here. And and this could be a gamble that really pays off well. I mean, mm-hmm. he's still a top, you know, top 40 outfielder Mm -hmm. this is still a very good player and we're talking about upside for more right like he could very well be like a top 25 top 20 guy right he just needs to play yep alex Verdugo, love the comp that you made with him and uh, michael brantley seems like he's going to be a very nice player but probably not going to develop into that prototypical superstar uh, the likes of a mookie betts who uh, among others he was traded for you know so probably in my opinion you know, still a player in development, but probably not going to turn into like a 30 home run kind of guy. Uh, maybe a 20 home run guy with maybe 15 stolen base, you know, that kind of range. Yeah. And, you know, when I say when I comp him to Michael Brantley, I don't mean like the the young Michael Brantley, who mm-hmm. was like a 2020 threat. I mean, like the older one where he's like he hits, you know, 15 to 20 home runs. You know, mm-hmm. I think Brantley does hit a little bit more than that, but. You know, it's like 15, 20 home runs. And like in exchange, you know, he hits a few home r- less home runs than Brantley, but he does steal more like he'll steal more bases. You know, he could really steal seven to ten bases even for the Red Sox, depending on how aggressive they want to be. It's hard to rank batting average guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And now this is a guy I do like a bit more in like points leagues because he makes so much contact. Right. Like when we talked about Harper earlier, you know, like 40 percent of Harper's at bats end in a walk or a strikeout. Right. Uh like that's that's not what happens with Verdugo, right? With Verdugo, it's like 22% or so over the course of his career of those at bats end with a walk or strikeout. The rest is bad on the ball. Mm-hmm. Some of them are outs, but you know, especially in a points league, yeah, like the walks are great or whatever, but the real points come from bat to ball. You you need guys who are making contact. Contact is king in points, and sure. Verdugo makes plenty of it. Right. And mm-hmm. we saw a spike in strikeout rate for 2020. I kind of don't really care because it's not like it was a huge spike. I, I do expect it to come back down to like the 16 ish percentage range instead of 20. But, you know, again, guy who makes a lot of contact, just hard to rank because he's a batting average guy. And, and that doesn't jump out on the page like other mm-hmm. stats do. All right. Uh, we could uh, skip over to the back end starters. It includes guys like Joey Gallo, Will Myers. Byron Buxton. Byron Buxton still costs you a 10th round pick in 12 team leagues. Injuries have been a constant concern last season. It was his shoulder, also suffered a concussion. His elite glove is going to keep him in the lineup, but it's been disappointing so many fantasy managers over the years. But that 25 home run, 20 stolen base potential, it's hard to quit. It really is. And, you know, I think the one thing, like, sort of, that's that's kind of mean to do, right? But you you sort of can say, like, Ask someone of all the projections, right? And he's how many years in a row has he been projected for like 25, 20, right? Mm-hmm. Like it feels like a decade, right? It hasn't been quite that long, but it feels like it. In reality, what is his highest home run season? It's the only one where he played more than 92 games. It was 2017 and he hit 16, right? Like, so, you know, you know, it's spring because we're dreaming on Buxton again. <laughs> and, you know, he... He's dealt with a lot of injuries. It makes me worry about the stolen base upside. It's no longer like the 40 stolen base. I mean, when we walked into 2018, I think it was, 
we were like projecting like 2040, mm-hmm. right? And now we're we've sort of been talked down to like, well, maybe it's more like 2520, right? Or like 2515. And if you want to dream on Buxton, now's the time. But if you're doing that, make sure that you've grabbed a couple like top end outfielders first, mm-hmm. right? Like don't wait on outfield and then just go heavy upside on Buxton. I think that's a that's a foolish approach because it's just going to really hamstring you if inevitably Buxton doesn't play 60 games this season, right? Mm-hmm. Like if he only plays, I mean, a hundred games is a rough projection because he's only done that once at the major league level. Exactly right. one time. Now when he's healthy, he'll play every day. doesn't matter if he's slumping hard because he does that all the time. It doesn't matter if he's slumping hard because they need that glove in center. It's a big center field, the target field, and they need him covering it. But, uh, that means he's going to be playing and you're going to be stuck with him in your lineup because you can't bench the guy, but you're going to really wish sometimes, right? Because he, he does go through some really brutal streaks. This is a guy where you really want to have established your outfield first. Have at least, I think, two outfield that you feel really good about, really safe, right? It, in a lot of drafts, especially these three outfield ones, you're going to find that you got your first two outfielders early. And then you're almost like avoiding outfield. You're like, well, I don't really need my third one yet. If you grab Buxton as that third one because you had the two ones early, you're in a really nice spot because you're going to be able to get another one later who can fill that spot if you need it to. But you've created a floor already. You want to have a floor if you're going to if you're going to play the the Buxton game, right? You're right. going to roll those dice. Deep league options. Andrew Benintendi now in a 12 team league where you're starting only three outfielders. Not going to draft him, but if you're starting five, you might think about. You know, what do you think about him getting out of Boston and going to a place like Kansas City? Like in Boston, maybe you might have had a postgame press conference with 30 reporters asking you questions. And in Kansas City, you might have 10. And it is not as much expected from him. I mean, the, the guy definitely has a lot of talent. Had, had a tough uh, 2020. I remember when he was first coming up through the ranks. I mean, they were talking about that. You knew that when he was in the batter's box, just the ball off his bat made a different sound. I mean, what do you think about Benintendi in terms of a bounce back? Yeah, so, I mean, I think in even in a 12-team league with the three outfielders, I think someone's going to draft him hoping for that upside, like that 15-15 upside. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure it's there, but, you know, especially because Kansas City is a lot harder place to hit home runs than, uh, than Boston mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, he's a lefty, so it, it's going to be a little bit similar, but... I my real issue on Benintendi is I no longer know what I'm hoping he bounces back to. Right. Like, I mean, the, the easy answer is, well, you could bounce back to his 2017, 2018, where he was like a, a 2020 guy. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But gosh, it's been a little while now. Right. Like he barely I mean, he got like bench less. It's been a while since I've seen that player. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since. And it's not like he's been unlucky or like he's just missed time. Like we saw him all 2019 and we saw him be not super good, right? Like not terribly useful from a fantasy perspective. So is there a bounce back? And I mean, this is a classic change of scenery, right? But like being that 15, 10 guy, like that's, you know, that's sort of like a, a Verdugo guy, right? Mm-hmm. Except Ben Nintendi, I don't think he'll bat 290 like he did in 2018. I think he's going to bat like 250, 260. And when you don't have that, plus plus batting average backing you up that 1510 is really replaceable right so i mean that's only my that's really my fear is that he rebounds into a replaceable guy instead of a don't pick him up guy right speaking of uh, changes of scenery who do you think benefits more from their change of scenery jock peterson who moved over from the dodgers to the cubs or kyle schwaber who moved over from the Cubs to the Nationals. Now, you look at Schwarber, get him in the 16th round of a typical 12-team league, Peterson, 26th round. And you look at their uh, steamer projections, very, very similar. You got Schwarber, 239, 31 home runs, 78 RBI, and Peterson, 246, 29 home run, and 73 RBIs. But the key also, Peterson and Yahoo Leagues would be uh, eligible at first base as well. But who do you think benefits most from their new surroundings now? Gosh, it's hard to say. I'm going to take Schwarber. Now, I want to actually, but I want to start talking about Jock Peterson because I think a lot of people are going to say, well, now Jock's not going to be in a platoon anymore. Right? That's got to be a benefit. That's not a benefit. He really should be in a platoon. Right? Mm-hmm. We've seen Jock Peterson bat against lefties. 
it's not a strength, right? And like, sure, you could say, like, oh, we could teach it to him. But why? When there's mm-hmm. so many righty mashers who you could just plug in to hit lefties, right? Like, the teams don't have an incentive to let Jock Peterson be average or below average against lefties. The number of players that are available for major league teams to be the short side of a platoon is essentially infinite. There are so many guys who can play corner outfield and first base that they could plug in against tough lefties and let Jock Peterson sit. So in a daily league, you know, Jock Peterson gets the most of his value because even if they don't platoon him in real life, you should platoon him in fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you get the value. Only take the good parts, like take the creamy, like take the creamy filling, right? Don't, don't bother with the, with the weird outside. You don't want it. So, so like, while it's sort of a benefit because he's going to play more like in fantasy, we're going to do exactly what we did before. And that's bench him against lefties, start him against righties. With Schwarber, I I like him. I like him a lot in in this change, not because he wasn't getting playing time. He was getting playing time, you know, in, in Chicago for sure. Chicago did this weird thing where they kept putting him in leadoff, and I do not understand it. I'll never understand it, right? Because, first of all, he wasn't actually that good at it, right? And it's not like he's like some 20% walk rate guy. He, you know, he, he's got a decent walk rate, but it's not insane, right? It's like over 10%, but there's plenty of guys who are over 10%. And Schwarber sure as heck, like, he's not going to leg out a double, right? He needs the ball to go very far to get the double, right? Like, <laughs> he needs a proper double. So I, I never understood it. I, I liked that he did finally start like they said they were going to bat him like in the middle of the order. And then they kind of did. But then he struggled and, and they didn't really he's going to bat in the middle of the order for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. That's the best place for him to hit. He, he can finally like if he plays a full season, I do think he can threaten 100 RBI. And he was never going to do that in Chicago. Like he did get close in 2019, got 92. And he would have gotten there if they hadn't had him lead off like 50 times, which mm. like that's really what I want to do here is I want to complain about that because I never understood it. And like someone can say like, oh, he walks a lot. So what? They got other guys who could, you know, so does Anthony Rizzo, right? Like what? Why? 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 Like he just screams like he would have been much better off that in fifth than first. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need the extra plate appearances. He needs guys on base. Yeah. We were all kind of shocked when we heard about that. Right. But now then since that's happened, some teams have kind of used different approaches. Weird people uh, start uh, leading off games. It's yeah, a copycat league. Yeah, it, it just too cute for me. Too mm-hmm. cute. Like, put your big masher where you put big mashers. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't have to be hard. Hey, you know, since you talk about leadoff guys, and I was going to talk uh, about your watch list group and just get, you know, maybe one or two names that you liked. One guy that I didn't notice on your rankings list, Miles Straw. Now, Miles Straw, uh, recently I saw that uh, Dusty Baker said that it's either him or Carrasco that's going to lead off. If you look at roster resource, they list him as uh, batting ninth. But according to Dusty Baker, he really hasn't made his mind up yet. But, you know, Straw, you look at his uh, minor league numbers, good on-base percentage, good average. I think he had a 305 batting average in the minor leagues. Thinking that maybe he could steal 30 bases, maybe more. He has that kind of elite speed. And in that kind of a lineup, if he's leading off, could score a ton of run. Absolutely. So my one of my co-hosts on the PL Shorts podcast, Rich Holman, also writes over at Razzball. Mm-hmm. He's big on Miles Straw, mm-hmm. right? And, and I was almost tempted to get Miles Straw sort of into the rankings more. Here's the thing. These rankings are designed for 12-team, three outfield leagues, right? And Miles Straw, the, the part we know is that he's going to slug like maybe 350, right? Like mm-hmm. he he has one home run in his major league clear career. And if he plays, even if he plays a full season, like five is the tops, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't see more than 45 to 50 RBI. If he plays a whole season, right. Those are just not there. So this is a true, like if he bats lead off, he becomes a two category player, which is mm-hmm. cool. Right. But for me to even consider him top 100 in a 12 team, three outfield format, he's got to be lead off. I've got to know. Right. right? So, he is a guy that I am ready to put in the rankings and I probably should have put him in the watch list for now so that I could move him into the rankings when, you know, when, and if he does get that leadoff spot, but without that leadoff spot, he's totally off my radar. There's just not going to be enough stats there um, for a 12 team league because 30 stolen bases is good, but it's not like 
It's all, it's like the old Billy Hamilton problem, right? Except Billy Hamilton stole twice as many bases back then. Yeah. What do you do with 30, right? You plug in a guy to, to take, to take a minus on every stat, but steals that that's a tough call. Yeah. I thought I saw that Billy Hamilton was back in baseball. Someone was giving him a tryout this. this Oh, he already got caught. Oh, he did. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Poor guy. Um, so you, you watch list, any of these guys like that you want to highlight, uh, one guy that that I like from this group uh, is uh, Rymel Tapia, 20th round, based on his ADP, basically doing what he's always done throughout his minor league career, hitting for average, modest power, and some stolen bases. Basically, you know what you're going to get from him. But are any of these guys out of your watch list that maybe you want to highlight out of here? You know, I mean, and really, when we're talking about a 12-team league, three outfield, like – I labeled some parts of the watch list, but mm-hmm. in reality, like you can really start looking by like by tier eight. These are guys that might well be on your free agent pool by mm-hmm. the time your draft is over. Right. Um, so there's a lot of guys all throughout here. That we could talk about Tapia, I think is a good one, but of course he's in Colorado and in theory, they're not going to jerk him around, but we've said that all the time about guys in Colorado and then they get <laughs> jerked around again. Right. Like David Dahl had to leave the team. Right. right? Like he was supposed to be great at Colorado. They, they just I'm not convinced they they know what they're doing. I think they just kind of make it up. Um, guys who really stand out. Uh, I want to say Robbie Grossman because he's going to bat lead off for the Tigers, but I don't believe enough in the bat. You just want to talk Tigers. That's all uh, I know. Usually, yeah. So, <laughs> so but like, if you believe in the bat, like I think you could, he's, he has made some adjustments. This might be a good time for me to call out that, uh, that myself, two other guys over at Pitcher List, Ben Palmer and uh, Steve Gisele, I think I might be saying that wrong. We made this thing called Math, and it's a big tracker of all the guys really since the beginning of last year that have said they've made adjustments or that are playing a different position, right, that are trying something out. Like, we just added Ahmed Rosario because we found out, hey – He's getting looks at outfield, right? Yeah. He might be the center fielder there, right? So something to think about. And, and actually, that's where I'm going to go with the guy I, I'm watching. I don't necessarily want to say, like, he's moving way up my board, but I'm really curious to see what happens with Oscar Mercado. Because mm-hmm. on one hand, you could say this is a 20-20 guy, 25-25 guy, like, that you can get for absolutely free. On the other hand, like, it's kind of looking like Cleveland might not even want him to play. I'm not super sure what Cleveland wants to do there. I really want to see how the outfield shakes out, especially if they're giving Rosario looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up uh, math because I, I hate math, but I love what you guys did with the uh, mechanical adjustment tracker for hitters. So, you know, we, we always we look at different changes that pitchers make, you know, any new pitches that they add, but not enough attention to these adjustments that uh, hitters make. Yeah, I mean, like one of my favorite little tidbits that's on there is – Avisayo Garcia is on there because he lost close to 40 pounds mm-hmm. in the offseason. And just to just to point this out, because it's just a fun fact that that I love telling everyone who will listen. Avisayo Garcia was the starting center fielder for the Brewers in 2020. He weighed 272 pounds, 272 pounds as a starting major league center fielder on a contending team like that. It wasn't like some uh, ball club that's rebuilding. Like the Brewers were trying to compete 272 pound six foot four center fielder. And and if you're trying to picture what that looks like, (laughs) Frank Thomas was six, five, 275. Like Frank Thomas, but in center field, that's how big Avisayo Garcia was playing center field last year. He might have been the largest hitter in baseball last year. And he wasn't a DH like big poppy weighed 240. Right. Mm-hmm. Miguel Cabrera weighs like 240. Right. I guess Avisayo Garcia was 272. And he stole a base. Yeah. <laughs> he, stole, he stole a base. Like, so him slimming down is a big deal. Now, playing time is a really big question mark. But yeah. like that kind of stuff, like best shape of your life is something that, you know, we're tracking. And it's something that you're like, oh, well, I don't it doesn't really matter. Losing 40 pounds <laughs> as like an adult is a lot. That is a going to see him in a slim fast commercial, right? But uh, you're right. I never would have guessed that he was 270 plus pounds, you know. And uh, he was a guy that I was actually looking at, you know, as a as a sleeper. But then when they signed the Brewers signed uh, Jackie Bradley, 
Jr. I kind of like, ah, oh. but Lorenzo Kane now is, is having some issues, uh, injury issues. It looks like he'll be okay for opening day, but yeah, uh, I, I kind of was hoping that Garcia was kind of somebody that I could grab really late in, in drafts. Yeah. Well, like, whoa, stop the presses. Like Lorenzo Kane has an injury issue. Like what? <laughs> Never heard of this. So there's paths to playing time for Garcia. And I, I actually do like him. He hits the ball awfully hard. He's a big guy. Like even losing 40 pounds, he's still one of the bigger players in baseball. Like he's, he's big poppy size right now. Right. Like poppy mm-hmm. weighed 240. Garcia weighs like two. He was like 232. He's mm-hmm. really big. Uh, he's really strong. He's amazingly athletic for a guy that that's that big. So I hope he gets a chance to play more. I just don't know exactly how that's going to work because the mm-hmm. Brewers are trying to build a team that's good in real life, not necessarily for fantasy. Yeah, and that, us. Yeah. <laughs> and that often means having a couple outfielders that you rotate around, right? Especially if they're thinking like, hey, look, in, in 2022, we're probably going to have a DH, right? And something that was weird about the 2020 season, you know, I should note that I don't think there will be a DH this season. It, it's all but certain that we won't. But mm-hmm. if – a lot of National League teams had this DH, but very few of them were really able to take much advantage of it, right? Like, it helped the Dodgers a lot because they had, like, a glut of hitters that they could use. A couple other teams had, like, some extra hitters. You know, I think the Reds stand out as, like, an, they were a team that had plenty of outfielders, and they were always looking for ways to get their fourth outfielder in a game. But a lot of teams didn't have anyone that made a lot of sense to be DH, mm-hmm. right? Like, their bench guys really were bench guys. Right. They were like multi-positional infielders and outfielders. So you can see that the Brewers are building something for like real baseball. It's just really frustrating in fantasy. Mm-hmm. All right, Scott. Well, we've gone through a lot of ball players, and basically we could do like a um, another three hours on outfielders if we wanted to. But uh, I really uh, want everyone to check out PitcherList.com and check out your rankings. Check out every. Uh, rankings that are there because like I said I was using them real time uh, you know in slow drafts and just you know getting really great information that was helping me as I was drafting in my TGFBI league so uh, thanks to everyone for allowing us to visit with you hope uh, you were entertained and informed that's our goal Uh, be sure to check out uh, all the other podcasts on the PitcherList podcast network you can follow at PitcherList pods they usually tweet out when new episodes are released Please also follow us on Twitter at Hacks and Jacks PL. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our show, and leave us a stellar five-star review. Why not? Follow me at Joe Galina. Follow Scott on Twitter at If the Chew Fits. That's C H U. And I uh, hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time.